Welcome to the Citizens Report for the 23rd of October. I'm Elisa Barwick. Joining me today is CEC leader Craig Isherwood. Welcome, Craig. Yeah, thanks, Elisa. And on today's show, the Great Reset Fraud and March Meltdown shows global financial system is on the brink. So firstly today, the Great Reset Fraud. Now, the IMF head, Kristalina Georgieva, gave a speech on the 15th of October at the uh, IMF World Bank meetings in the US, and it was titled A New Bretton Woods Moment. Of course, our organisation, Craig, has talked for many years about the necessity for a new Bretton Woods to actually re-regulate um, the economic system and cut out speculation, but this is certainly not what she was no. talking about. It's just for our viewers, viewers, Elisa, I think people have to understand New Bretton Woods was a financial system, a regulated financial system put into place uh, actually after the death of Roosevelt in 1945, 44, actually he, he initiated it. And the idea was to create a stable currency, a stable financial system with a uh, the US dollar pegged to gold in order to allow the development of nations. Now that was in place right up until 1971, so it lasted from 45 to 1971. And some of the key aspects of that, which I'll go through later, you know, actually saved and, and helped to develop many countries in the post-war period. What she's talking about is not this. Mm. It's trying no. to use the terminology to, to win. Yeah, support. no, her conception of a new Bretton Woods comes into the the realm of what a lot of people call the Great Reset, which is actually terminology that comes from the Davos World Economic Forum, uh, which, if you don't know, is a collection of some of the world's biggest businessmen and bankers. This is the true elite of the global system. Um, so what we're talking about here is um, a Keynesian New Bretton Woods, and we'll explain what that means in terms of John Maynard Keynes, the British economist, um, because he was actually... Uh, representing the British delegation at that 1944 Britain Woods Conference. And it was actually rather fortunate that Roosevelt's um, design, which was carried by Harry Dexter White, won out over the designs of Maynard Keynes. Um, but Georgieva, she actually quoted Keynes twice in her speech. Um, and one of the other giveaways was that she praised the $12 trillion worth of government and central bank uh, money pumping that was put into the financial system in this recent period through the COVID crisis from the beginning of the year through March, um, none of which went to the real economy. And that's the real key here. Um, Keynes actually was an admirer of one of the people who originated this kind of money pumping, pump priming of the economy by putting out so-called stimulus, um, which was Helmar Schacht. He was the economics minister to Adolf Hitler uh, and Keynes actually admired what he did. And what he did in terms of pumping out money, which it didn't matter to where it went and how it was done, of course it ended up being in the Nazi labour camps as we know, um, he did it in combination with the financial and military industrial complex. And this is actually similar to what has been coming forward in recent times today, um, where the um, US Federal Reserve has actually hired the world's biggest um, fund manager called BlackRock 
to put its injections of money and stimulus into the economy through the course of this year. Uh, that originally was proposed at the Jackson Hole Summit of central bankers, which occurred in August last year. Uh, and at that same summit, Mark Carney, the head of the Bank of England, put up another proposal for a global currency uh, and a, probably a digital global currency, which has been studied since then quite intensively. But I wanted to mention that because that is in complete parallel to the proposals of John Maynard Keynes at the Bretton Woods Conference. He wanted to establish a global bank that would monitor and manage all of the world's currencies and trade and include a global currency called the Bancor. And that was all in league with this idea of a global one world government, Elisa. Absolutely. Continuous idea of just one one institution that would govern the world. And if you look at today's proposal of how that's coming forward with the proposal for a central bank digital, digital currency, it becomes very clear actually how that would be a one world government because um, the drive for a central bank digital currency <clears throat> has been gearing up through uh, this year, through 2020. It's a mechanism for a new financial bailout scheme where fiscal injections would occur um, both at a personal level and a government level directed by the US Federal Reserve. Every American citizen would have a personal bank account at the Fed and there's legislation on the US Congress floor to do this as we speak. Um, so you would get um, stimulus injections as we've had you know, throughout the crisis into your Fed bank account. But of course, with a digital currency, every use of that money would be traceable. So you wouldn't be able to go and take that money out in the form of cash. No, you have to use it in the form of digital currency. So this kind of surveillance mechanism is a big part of this system. And as our viewers know, we've been fighting the cash ban, which would be a major element in that. And one of the other reports that came from the Philadelphia Federal Reserve, in fact, uh, is that this use of central bank digital currency could make commercial banking obsolete because deposits would be attracted into that Federal Reserve system. And all this, I might add, is taking place under the testing of the Bank for International Settlements, which, by the way, was founded by Hjalmar Schacht, Hitler's uh, economics minister, with the head of the Bank of England, Montague Norman. And, of course, they oversee uh, the bail-in system, which we've been campaigning against, which under a new financial crisis would mean that depositors and investors would see their money stolen to bail out the bank and save the bank. But Craig, what would a real new Bretton Woods look like in contrast to what we've just laid out? Well, Elisa, the idea has to be focused on real economic development. So therefore, you've got to go back and have you know, a fixed exchange rate system. You know, the Australian dollar, for example, is either the fourth or fifth most traded currency in the world. So you have a currency which is intrinsically worth nothing being made to make money. And this is the, the root of a lot of speculation in the currency markets today, where you've got to say, no, a currency is not there to be speculated on, it's there to support trade. So therefore you, you have a fixed exchange rate supported by capital controls, which means that you can't have massive amounts of money flooding out of the country uh, at the whim of speculators, right? Um, you need, we need to uh, you know, peg that back to uh, gold, right? Now we're not talking about the gold standard, which is, we're talking about a gold exchange. Uh, the original Bretton Woods system had the US dollar pegged at 135th of an ounce of gold, right? And Australia's uh, currency up until it was floated in 83 was actually pegged 
uh, indirectly to the uh, British pound, but it was also uh, pegged to gold. So that there was a stable currency, so nations could trade amongst each other. So that's the first thing that we actually have to have with the new Bretton Woods system, is a stable currency. So that, and that's globally speaking. Now, if Russia, China, India and the United States got together and proposed this, it would happen. And Mr Lyndon LaRouche, you know, former Lyndon LaRouche, the uh, statesman, uh, physical economist, proposed this back in the 90s that we needed exactly this side type of system. And if these big major companies got, countries got behind it, then it would happen and other mm. countries would fall in. So the mechanism could be there to do this. Mm. Uh, the political will has to be there to do it as well. Now, there's other aspects to this. You also have to have a national bank, not a central bank. You know, central banks are designed as part of this globalist push for a digital country, but also to take away country sovereignty. So mm. you need to have a national bank that's owned and governed by the government of the nation for the people to create massive amounts of credit. And embedded in that process, you also have to have a Glass-Steagall arrangement whereby you forbid speculation and you protect people's deposits in the real way. So all these policies are what we've been supporting and promoting for many, many years. They're more and more coming to the fore because you're just getting this enormous amount of money being pumped into the system. I mean, $12 trillion, of mm. which a fraction of it just goes into the what we call the productive economy. It's, it's speculation upon speculation. That's, this goes back to the Keynesian form of printing money um, and it's, an, it's been an absolute disaster. That's right. Now actually we'll stop there for a break but we're going to come back and continue talking about that critical element of national banking. Welcome back to the Citizens Report. We're discussing the Great Reset, the real one and the fraudulent one. Mm -hmm. um, now I want to start this segment with a quote from MP Bob Catter who's put forward our legislation or is putting forward our legislation for a national bank coming soon uh, and he put up a Facebook post this week, um, a statement I should say which was excellent which I just want to read a bit of which is in the context of the fact that our financial system as it exists is sabotaging the development of this country. He said we have the iron ball of bureaucracy around our ankles and we have banks that want to know the value of our house when we want to build a Bradfield scheme and the mortgage lender banks are only interested in how much they can sell a half-built dam or factory for. They look to the mortgage value rather than the project. Australians, he said, must throw out their current political and monetary regime and replace it with an aggressive build and own our nation attitude. Instead, we are still floundering around in the fairy floss of free marketism, which is an explanation and admission that we know absolutely nothing about anything and we don't have to do anything because it will all be done for us. <laughs> Spot on. Exactly. So, um, and you can read more about this actually in the, this week's Australian Alert Service. There's an article, you can contact us if you haven't already for a complimentary copy, but there's an article about um, the quite intensive support we've been building momentum for in the country for a national bank and you'll see quotes there from the Green Senator Peter Wish-Wilson, One Nation Senator Malcolm Roberts, LNP Senator Jared Rennick, LNP uh, MP George Christensen and you know there's more rumblings beside that but it is beginning to come together and another thing I wanted to um, uh, mention is that we had coverage this week of a program that we have highlighted on our Citizens Insight show project Iron Boomerang um, which pointed to the necessity for a national bank as well 
Um, this is, of course, a program that will uh, transform Australia by building a rail system between the west and the east of the northern part of the country and include the first stages of steel production so that we dramatically increase the value of our exports and assist the world really in getting through this phase where we need such a rapid spurt of development. But this was covered, um, interestingly, in uh, news.com.au this week. Um, and uh, one of the things that the author of this proposal, Shane Condon, said, he's a Brisbane-based uh, businessman, is that this system could mean that we pay off our pandemic debt in a matter of 10 years because it would inject $23 billion uh, into the economy and create up to 100,000 jobs. And that's just one proposal, Craig. Yeah, that's right. And look, this, this is, gets to the heart of the issue. We take our raw materials, right, and we develop them further and value add the product. We're taking our coke and coal to create the steel instead of just shipping it out off the coast and we're taking our iron ore and evaluating that by creating first stage steel. Now we don't have, uh, the idea is to export that first stage steel, it's much more efficient in terms of the entire process. And Shane goes into a great deal of detail. And the good thing, Lisa, this is shovel ready. Mm. This is being developed for 10 to 15 years. These guys are, you know, they've done all their homework. It's all there. So this could be done tomorrow. It's not like some other projects which mm. require some investment and some uh, uh, you know, research and so forth. This one is shovel ready. Mm. They're ready to go right now. All it requires is the government to tick it, tick it off and say we're going to support this and if we, we'll fund it through a national bank, it's on its way. Yeah. $23 billion, as Shane said, 100,000 jobs and it's ready to go. We've escalated our campaign for the National Bank because this is absolutely urgent. So I want you to watch, this is a three minute video that, or advertisement that we've put up um, for YouTube and other advertising. So take a look at this. Australia can create more than a million and a half industrial jobs almost overnight and anything less is inadequate. Moreover, in the long run, it won't cost the federal budget a cent. How do I know this? I'm Robert Bowie. Research Director of the Australian Citizens Party. The instrument for doing this is a national bank or a people's bank. Such a bank was created in 1911 and was used to finance infrastructure and industry until it was privatised in 1996. What can a national bank do? Let's start with transportation. Here's a map of a nationwide network of high-speed railways. This is a project that would revolutionise transport and slash shipping costs. An integrated approach. The proposal also includes oil, gas, mining, minerals and metals projects, as well as agricultural infrastructure. Many of these programs are shovel ready. Let's talk about water. The Citizens Party has identified 17 high priority water projects that would green the deserts, foster agriculture, improve the quality and quantity of drinking water and provide massive amounts of hydroelectricity for the nation. The real economy is not about money, it's the ability to produce physical goods. Look at this graph of manufacturing as a percentage of GDP. In the first 60 years of the last century, it increased from about 10% to about 30%. Today, manufacturing as a share of the economy is actually lower than it was 100 years ago. This is what we must reverse. Where's the money going to come from to build all these projects? It's straightforward. Initial capital for the new National Bank can be readily raised from super funds and other Australian investors by offering a government guaranteed return at a competitive rate. $40 billion in initial capital 
means the National Bank would have a $320 billion lending capacity. The bank will make loans at low interest rates to state and local governments, regional authorities and to businesses in productive industries. Studies show infrastructure projects give back into the economy three to seven times the amount invested. Nearly 5,500 jobs are created for every $1 billion invested into infrastructure projects. Thus, more than 1.5 million new jobs will be created. The bank will receive interest on the loans it makes, enabling it to cover its running costs. Historically, this kind of bank has always ended in the black. We can do all this and make a profit for the Australian people. All that's needed is the political will to do it. Why wait? Get involved today. Sign our online petition urging the federal government to create this bank. Our current economic plunge is, ironically, the opportunity to create a great change for the good. Don't delay. Sign our petition today. Yes, yeah, so let's look, come back to the COVID-19 debt. Now, people get freaked out about all the debt the government's incurred. It's had to do that to keep people alive, to keep the people in some degree of stability. The question here is the people, has been the people, and it's the future. And that future is divided by, defined by what we can do in terms of increasing the, the ability of our economy to expand through creating real productive jobs. The iron boomerang is one example, using a national bank to ingest vast amounts of credit into productive processes, projects, infrastructure, high-speed trains, shipping, the works. That way you expand the economy. You don't have to fear debt. Mm. If you pump it into the speculative economy where it's being gambled with, mm -hmm. forget it. it. It'll kill the population. The point is you put it into that which supports the population, expands the population, soft infrastructure, hard infrastructure, soft, I mean by education and healthcare, you know, that's what we need, and we don't have to fear the debt um, in that respect. As long respect. as we do it in the right way, that's yeah. right. Now, just a quick reminder, um, in addition to our National Bank campaign, we are still uh, pushing forward rapidly on the, the bail-in, the anti-bail-in campaign, which on the 30th of November, uh, Senator Malcolm Roberts is going to put up his bill to take away the loophole that would allow deposits to be confiscated in an emergency. So if you haven't already, you can go to our website to find the details. Make sure you phone your senator, email your senator. We've been getting some good responses back from senators this week. They're saying they're beginning to get a lot of calls on this subject um, because we need to ensure that deposits can't be confiscated. So we'll be right back after this break. Welcome back to the Citizens Report. We're now discussing March meltdown shows global financial system is on the brink. Now, of course, we've been talking about all these trillions upon trillions that have been pumped into the financial system to prop it up, to sustain the speculative activity that's going on where it could be going into the real economy to benefit us all. And one of those um, pumping mechanisms is the repo market. And people might remember in September last year, um, repo market interest rates rent from 2% to 10% and uh, many of the banks that usually lend through that market still wouldn't lend at 10% rates even though they could make massive profits. Um, there was a real seize up of the entire system and this is crucial because um, some people compare the repo market to um, the plumbing of Wall Street. It's, it's like the heart pumping uh, blood around the system. So these are short term mainly overnight loans that get pumped 
they, they get paid to banks in return for collateral and then purchased back the next day. So it's like the blood going through the circulatory system and coming back. So it's not cumulative money adding up every day, but it's the amount that needs to be injected in because the system's drying up. Now, in, Mar in September last year, it was bad enough when um, about $245 billion uh, was being regularly put into the system every week in terms of offerings every morning where the Fed, the New York Fed would say, okay, we've got $75 billion that we can make available for these short-term loans. It increased up to $150 billion. They were also putting out 14-day loans and also a number of extra uh, short-term offerings. But in March, it was much, much worse. Instead of $245 billion in regular offerings through the repo market, it was $2.45 trillion, an order of magnitude beyond. So the morning offerings on the repo market went up to $500 billion, and this doesn't always all get taken up. Um, and then again, other times it's oversubscribed, but they would lend up to $500 billion. They added in an additional $500 billion of lending in a special afternoon offer, which hasn't happened before so far as I know. They increased the 14-day loan terms, one-month term loans up to $500 billion, and three-month term loans up to $500 billion. They also had additional purchases across a range of maturities to, quote-unquote, address highly unusual disruptions in Treasury financing markets associated with the coronavirus outbreak. And in addition to that, purchases of Treasury securities and agency mortgage-backed securities. Now that might sound like gobbledygook, but in other words, uh, the system had dried up to such an extent they were flushing money through the system and it was just coming straight out the other end and it was dramatically worse than September last year, which was acknowledged across the world to be a breakdown of the system and as we and others said, really was the start point of a new global financial crisis, which we've been warning about since 2008, because the 2008 crisis was never dealt with. The kinds of measures we should have brought in to deal with it, such as Glass-Steagall, did not happen. There were some efforts to say they were re-regulating and so forth, but, you know, it made no difference whatsoever. We're back to square one and even in a worse position that we were before. People, people must probably be thinking, well, what, what is this? I mean... Why is this happening? Because this is insane. All this money, what does it do? Where does it go? Well, it's like a casino. You've got to keep putting money into the system to keep it going, propping it up, and the money it gets bigger and bigger and bigger because there's side bets being lost. There's all sorts of hemorrhaging going on, but it's an insane system. And that's why we've got to come back to what you said, a Glass-Steagall. If the merchant bankers and the investment bankers want to do this, use their own money, don't use government money. Don't use printed money from the government or whatever. Don't have this quantitative easing. Use their own money. The government is there for the people or should be there for the people. The, 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 the private banking system is dependent on the central banks to prop them up. So if you have a government-owned bank like a national bank that's there for the people for large-scale infrastructure development, for credit into the productive economy, you don't need this. Therefore, you have Glass-Steagall. You rule it out. You make it illegal and you protect the people you, had, you build real infrastructure and create real jobs by having a sane system. Yeah. As you said, it's gobbledygook. And it is gobbledygook because most you have supercomputers in some cases to understand this stuff or even to run it. Mm. It's completely nuts. And that's what's running our economy at the moment. It's why we need Glass-Steagall and we need yeah. national banking. 
we wouldn't even have a need for any of these types of systems, Craig. No. Just ridiculous. Um, now we've run out of time again. Just one quick notice, and that is that Channel 44 in Adelaide only has two weeks to go for screening the citizens' report. So contact us or go to YouTube. Thanks for tuning in, and join us again next week. Thank you.